If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. And the sweet, sweet sounds of Barrett Johnson lead us into this week's episode of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Hey, I'm Keith Giles, one of your three amazing hosts of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. I'm the author of so many books, but most recently, Jesus Unveiled, Forsaking Church as We Know It, for Ecclesia as God Intended, uh, from the Amazing Choir Publishing. And uh, I'm also joined by Jamal and Matt. Hey, guys, introduce yourselves. Hi, friends. My name is Jamal. It's a pleasure to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour podcast with you guys. I'm the author of a couple of books, most recently, Living for a Living, put up by Choir. And um, Keith, welcome back from the Wild Goose Festival. Oh, yeah. Man, yeah. am I tired? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, it. Um, gosh, one of my favorite people were there, Mary Ann Williamson. You, you, I, I'm just so jealous. You got to hear oh, her she was in there? person. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We hung out. Um, it was great. It was one of the only great. presidential candidates got invited to the Wild Goose. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yep. She was there. I can confirm she was there. Yes. That's cool. Well, I wasn't there, but uh, this is Matt DeStefano, the author of four below average books. And uh, really <laughs> excited true. to be here true. on another. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. They're, way, they're well above average. It um, <laughs> depends on who you ask. But uh, yeah, happy to be here for another episode uh, on this fine early morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a coffee heretic happy hour, not an yes, alcohol one. So uh, yeah. bear with us, folks. I think Jamal, weren't you going to say something? You have like an announcement. Oh, yes. I apologize, guys. Yes, I have an announcement. I was really, really excited to talk about this uh, this thing called the hotline, which, by the way, um, I don't know how many podcasts are represented at the Wild Goose Festival, but if we were there, I guarantee you we would be the only podcast with the hotline. So uh, let me give out the number um, for folks just in case. And we do invite all listeners to call this 240. 343-7379. You can call it, text it anytime. And we actually had a text come in to the hotline um, recently. Awesome. Okay. Man, it's always hot off the press. Okay. Um, Here's the text. Quote, hey guys, just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate your podcast. I just recently found your show and I love it. I just finished episode 18. It is what I thought church should have been when I stopped attending traditional church 30 years ago. It has only been within the last couple of years that I even picked up a Bible again. When I listen to your podcast, it reminds me of why I started to follow Jesus in the first place. I have conversations with all three of you during each podcast, even pausing the player to make sure I get my thoughts out. I don't know you personally, but I love all three of you. You may not all agree with each other 100% of the time, but at the end of the day, I believe it's about allowing God back into our garden. The garden um, we were placed in to till and to keep and letting God plant <laughs> seeds and water them in us so that we begin to bear the fruits of the spirit and manifest that in the world and help others see themselves as God sees them. Your podcast helps me do that. And I am grateful. Peace, brothers. My name is Eric, by the way. Unquote. Yeah. Uh, I just can I just say, guys, since I was at, I just got back, I mean, literally last night, just got back from August, and that was one of the most beautiful things. I was it was overwhelming to me, um, Saturday especially. I mean, it seemed like 
every five minutes, someone was coming up to me and saying, oh my gosh, Keith, I love the podcast. You guys are doing, you know, you, you basically paraphrasing what this guy just said. Like, and I always say we kind of tripped on something, you know, I don't think we had any idea when we started this podcast that it was going to have this kind of impact on people's, uh, their actual life, you know, that it's Mm. for many people, it's beyond just, um, entertaining, hopefully. Uh, but it actually speaking something really beautiful. So, you know, thank you. Mm. Thank you, Eric, for, for that text. And thank you, all of you who listen and who send us messages like that and encouragement like that. It means a lot. Yeah, it does. Yeah. My, my only quibble is that the Bible doesn't exist, so I don't know how you picked it up. Matt, that is heretical. Um, know. You know, know, but I do appreciate the the text from Eric. It, it is super sweet to... Yeah, we we do really um, we're blown away with um, just how much I think that our this conversation has just really spoke to the spirit of people and encouraged people in their journey. So, Eric, thank you for that um, for that beautiful text, and we really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. I mean, it, it is um, it, it's a conversation, so we appreciate you. And yeah. we have another another text that came into the hotline. This is from a listener. <clears throat> Quote: Is Jesus God? or prophet, or is it impossible to know? I believe all religions point to God. I remember in catechism in fifth grade, a sister told us that all religions lead to God. She drew a diagram on the chalkboard to show us. So why is Jesus God and not the other deities? Asking this question usually gets no answer because, quote, the Bible told me so, unquote, really doesn't cut it. And that is from a listener. Great, great question. Yeah, I feel like we've touched on this sort of thing um, often throughout uh, our 50 some odd <laughs> episodes. But um, no, I, I, I know I, I think I'm right there, right there with uh, the listener in, in that uh, I do believe there's truth to be gleaned from all faith traditions. Um, and I don't I don't know. I mean, Jamal, you'll probably agree with me if um, if Jesus is God. Well, Maybe maybe we're we're all a manifestation of God. I, I I'm not sure. Yeah, I knew that was coming, but I'm not sure if there's. I don't know. I don't really concern myself personally with uh, with the difference between. You know, I, I don't know if there's a difference between Jesus and us necessarily in terms of um, our divine nature or Jesus's divine nature or the Buddha's divine nature or anything. So. I don't know. That's just where I'm at. Um, yeah. And, and uh, like, like you, the Bible told me, so it doesn't really cut it either. Cause when we talked to Bar Ehrman, I mean, he shows that in the gospels, the, um, the divinity of Jesus kind of, um, takes, uh, it, it goes on a trajectory until we get to, you know, like the later formulation that, you know, Christ, Jesus was God yeah. before he was even born. And, and, and that wasn't necessarily the view um, as, as it's fleshed out as time goes on. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, my thoughts are that I think you're, you're, what you're dealing with in the, in the gospels and the canonical gospels that we have is you're dealing with a Jewish concept. So the, obviously the Jewish, the traditional Jewish ideas is, you know, it's the separate God somewhere in the sky, kind of that, that, that vantage point. And so Jesus comes and, but the, the way Jesus talks about God and the way that Jesus talks about himself you you it i think the the early christians were right to pick up the fact that wow jesus is really making himself synonymous with with deity with with the father with his you know in the language that was used in that day to describe god's source 
So it's it's like he doesn't come at it from the traditional Jewish separation standpoint where there's a God out there and then there's us. And it can be confusing. So people then have – and this is the problem with humans is that they – I believe that the root of suffering of humanity is that humans fundamentally picture themselves as separate from God. And, and I mean separate not just like because we've sinned and we're now separate in relationship. I'm not talking about like that. I mean like our actual being essence – they picture God out here and then uh, people over here. And I don't think that's fundamentally accurate. Um, and, and Jesus really refers to himself as divine in some of his statements. Of course, it's, it's, uh, he doesn't come right out because I don't think he needs people to, know, to like worship him in the way that the Jews were taught to worship God. But at the same time, he does make himself, in essence, equal to God. But then he also makes us... He, the way he ref, refers to other humans, he refers to other humans as being just like him. Mm-hmm. So I think this is where uh, Christianity, I really feel like, has missed the boat completely on the teachings of Jesus. Is because Christians fundamentally, and I'm, when I say Christians, I'm talking about the, what what's come to be known as Christianity and the church fundamentally has made elevated Jesus to the place of an idol, to the place of a of a deity like a Greek god. Um, and I, I personally just don't think Jesus ever came to set himself up as an exclusive divine figure in a way that elevates himself above any other human being. I think he came to elevate the view of humanity in the mindset of humanity, which thereby would also, you know, and, and what, what the way we do that is we understand that we are literally expressions of the divine. And when we understand that, then we understand what kind of God we're talking about. So anyway, that's a longer conversation, but that is, I think, uh, you know, uh, that was the big, the, the major pushback, even from Muslims. I come from a Muslim background. That was a major pushback. The traditional understanding that God had a child and somehow Jesus is this divine figure in a way that nobody else is. And um, yeah, I personally wouldn't agree with that. And again, that would put me at odds with traditional Christian teaching. And well, I, I, yeah, I think uh, what, the thing I love about, the, even the question, by the way, it's a great question. Um, mm-hmm. What I love about the question is the part about the mystery, and I think I I think uh, we should embrace mystery, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to questions like this. Uh, in other words, it's better for us to ask the question rather than to arrive at what we believe is the definitive answer. Sure. And and, uh, and I also think, uh, like Richard Moore says this a lot, <clears throat> that um, you know we we've decided. Religion has made Jesus someone to worship because if, if we worship him, it means we don't have to follow him. And I, I think mm. it's more important that we're following the teachings of Jesus than we're hung up on whether or not we are worshiping him. Uh, right. And that, like and like Jamal said, I don't think that was necessarily something he wanted. So speaking of that, um, I think yeah. our friends at Zondervan would probably agree with everything we just said. And uh, that's, why <laughs> us, that's why they've given us stacks of free uh, New Revised Standard Version Bibles to give away to our listeners. So they can read for themselves uh, that how everything we're saying is completely true, and um, <laughs> uh, we uh, we actually do have a winner right. contest. Uh, Kevin Carter, uh, he's yeah, way to go, baby! It's on the way to you. Uh, episode forty-eight was his favorite. Uh, the episode with Brian Zahn on the atonement that was a pretty good one as well. So if you would like to win, we only have four left, so let the battle begin. Um, here's how you can win your free copy of this, these brand new comfort print. New Revised Standard Version Bibles. Uh, by the way, you can also, if you want to see the lineup, you can go to nrsv.net and check those out. Uh, but here's how you win them. Uh, you can either call the hotline 
with a 60-second hilarious Bible story, but keep it down to 60 seconds or less. Or you can share uh, your favorite episode, a link to your favorite episode on Facebook or Twitter and tag a host, not Matt, and, right. <clears throat> and let us know. Uh, and then we will enter you in the drawing to win. So congratulations, Kevin. Yeah. Yes, and Ke- Kevin, just be careful with that, okay? Because you don't want to get sent into the dark ages like the church by <laughs> by delving into this book. Just be careful. Well, well, I'm not saying you can't read it. Just be yeah, careful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I guess it means that uh, it's time for us to roll into the Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, my name is Dustin, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Dustin. Hi. Hey. (laughs) So, Dustin, uh, it's really cool to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being our guest. Um, For people who may not know uh, a whole lot about you or just not be sure about your journey, uh, can you let us know why is it that some people today might consider you a heretic? Uh, well, the journey is long and uh, beset with many <laughs> dangers. But uh, <laughs> uh, currently, uh, I think some would consider me a heretic because uh, one departure from inerrancy, uh, which then opens the doors to all sorts of fun stuff, but uh, I would, I'm really uh, into process theology uh, at the moment and I'm finding that uh, and kind of surrounding ways of thinking to be a way, maybe a, a third way that I did not um, always understand was an option. Uh, so in the past, I, I kind of thought, Okay, well, we've got uh, what you grew up with in the evangelical church, and um, you know, I'd always always questioned what I believed and really studied into things and tried to build solid apologetics for all of that stuff. Uh, I tend to be pretty analytical, and so uh, when I would kind of hit a road bump, my my choice was always, okay, do I uh, go with a kind of materialism where goodness, truth, and beauty are not real things. Uh, they're just imaginary concepts that don't really correspond to anything because I don't have a consciousness. Or are those things so important to me that I hold on to them, the price being that I am believing in a God that comes off as capricious and vicious and violent mm-hmm. at times, and I don't know what mm-hmm. to do with that. Um, uh, along and that so that goes along with you know uh, the kind of false dichotomy of okay the Bible is either inerrant or it's totally uh, useless and uh, that's not true either so I just didn't right. I didn't have like I had the capacity to think through what I thought about these t- these two options but I didn't have a third way open to me so I didn't know how to get there mm-hmm. uh, so now now I get a lot of people telling me not to identify as a Christian on social media. Uh, because I don't line up with, uh, you know, well, you're not the, what yeah, they want to do. Their brand of Christian, so yeah. they don't like you. Yeah. So, other than inerrancy, what were the, some other? Was that the first thing that kind of came along was inerrancy, and then other things followed, or what? What are some other uh, sort of questions that you had, or deviations you made from things you grew up with theologically? Uh, I mean, iner- inerrancy is the kind of uh, fountainhead of it, if you will, because. Uh, that's what really controls a, a tight kind of 
theological reign on you know what is in or out and uh, what's orthodox or not. And uh, so, I, I mean, I had always, 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 always was bothered by uh, what we do with the Bible as far as the, the canon. So I understood, you know, I, I knew all the reasons why these books were selected and by whom. And, um, you know, it's for a process like that, it seemed uh, well enough and good. But then once it became, you know, the canon, it, it seems to instantly then elevate to something else mm-hmm. uh, besides these books that we are saying, okay, we have reason to believe that these are worthwhile to keep in our tradition and to learn from. Uh, and all of a sudden it becomes, whoa, now it's all magical and it all says the same thing. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so that it just never really sat right with me. I was like, okay, I'm following you to here. Then, uh, and so the, you know, the classic argument, well, it's not really an argument, but what everybody says, uh, when I try to talk about this is, you know, it's, it's kind of this, there's a practical aspect to it of saying, well, if you, if you don't just hold that, it's all perfectly in alignment that just leaves us in utter chaos. And so we can't have that, but that's not an argument. That's a fear. That's right. Um, yep. And yeah, so I, I'd always felt that way. I always been kind of bothered by it, but didn't really know a third way. Didn't know any people who were on that third path or whatever. And came out of, uh, like we'll get bogged down if we go too far into it, but I was in a, a very unhealthy ministry uh, atmosphere up in the Northwest and mm-hmm. came back down to California, uh, detoxed a little bit, was at a church, felt like we had some healing uh, for me and my wife and um, was in a good spot. I started helping out with worship there again and just feeling like, okay, this is, this is good. This is a much healthier place uh, than I was at. And, uh, so I wasn't in uh, some weird state of uh, rebellion when I kind of came into all this. I was like, I was on the road uh, writing another worship record, doing some research, and uh, I had seen a Five Views of Inerrancy book uh, pop up, and I was like, oh, that would be good. That's like, so it's like kind of within the tradition I'm in, and uh, but I'll, I'll get some different takes on it. Maybe I'll find something that makes a little more sense to me mm-hmm. than I, I currently have. And uh, so Pete ends uh, in the end was the, I mean, there was, there's some smart and thoughtful people contributing, but he ends up answering the questions that are posed to him as I, I don't think these can be solved through any view of inerrancy. And that was the only thing that made any sense to me. I was like, yeah, I don't, either like i know all the ins and outs of how to try to argue yourself out of why god commanded genocide but none of them are <laughs> truly satisfying at the end of the day so mm-hmm. right um, right yeah so that uh, i just started researching more and more and uh there was a moment where it just tipped and i was like oh okay so i definitely don't think that anymore and i don't see how i could ever go back to it um but yeah that opened up just like, whoa, what do I think then? What is going on? Um, and found my way into really digging on process philosophy and theology, um, 
which, uh, so that was a long way to answer your question, but no, that's fine. some of those other things, some of those other things that are, you know, well, uh, be go along with that are a very, very different view of God's relation to the world, God's, um, agency and the way he would exercise, um, power as, uh, not coercive right um yeah so that that stuff it's a it's a pretty large redefinition of uh of how you view god dustin this is jamal by the way it's great to have you on the podcast appreciate you being here um yeah, I, thanks man yeah yeah i, I um I think I mean, just for our listeners, you know, and obviously, you know, a lot of folks who have followed you, you will know this about you, but obviously, you know, a forming member of the, of the band thrice, and then also a prominent worship leader, as you mentioned, I think it was up, it was at Mars Hill up in uh, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's a very high profile position and you were, you know, worship leader there, but for someone to go through, we have a lot of listeners who are in different you know, and we get this, and we have a, we have a forum on Facebook in which people, you know, share their process and where they're, what they're going through. And a lot of folks are really struggling because they had a lot of the similar questions about inerrancy. They had been brought up in a, in a religious system in which inerrancy is the only way. And, um, and as, as well as a lot of other things that evangelical Christianity kind of teaches not, you cannot question. And these are just like, what I call pillars or foundational marks of evangelicalism. And, um, but they're questioning these things and they really like are struggling with how to navigate being in these environments because they're still part of these churches. And these They're very meshed in all these relationships in these churches. So it's not an easy or clean thing mm-hmm. for them when they start questioning. How did you just curious about what your process was like as a worship leader, specifically in relation to worship, in relation to your position? I mean, maybe those are two separate things, but how did you navigate and again where you were? I don't imagine there was a lot of uh, grace, so to speak, in allowing people to have these questions. So how did you have this question about inerrancy and to see that, you know, I guess that was the unraveling piece for you. How did you navigate that being a worship leader? How did that affect you in your ability to engage in and your understanding of worship uh, at the time? And how did it, how was it received? Well, well, uh, this was not going on when I was up in uh, Seattle, but this was back in in Orange County. Um, so, but still, uh, I mean, that is a, the social aspect and the self policing that happens in any kind of community is, is very strong and intense. Uh, it scares people if someone starts to think differently, uh, and it's understandable, uh, but it, it doesn't make it any easier. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was at, uh, a church down there, a smaller church and, um, they were, uh, patient enough with me on that stuff and i was trying to walk it out with them and just be honest about where i was at and i didn't know you know exactly where i was landing at all also became busier on the road at the time it just kind of uh, i'm between churches now so it 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 just moved to a point where it was like not just from this issue but um both my wife and i were just uh, feeling like we were seeing the world a bit differently, yeah. especially in terms of uh, how how we speak about and view people who think differently than us. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, we're uh, we're looking for a new place right now, yeah. but it is very hard to walk it out with people who are scared that you are uh, either somehow infecting <laughs> them with your yes your new ideas or uh, they're genuinely concerned that 
God's going to burn you in hell forever. Yep. And uh, that really, I've uh, the more I think about it, uh, the belief in, I mean, especially as it's formulated in eternal conscious torment, mm-hmm. uh, that that belief really, really skews people's ability to be able to think about about issues without that uh, kind of cutting down uh, any intellectual intellectual freedom that they would have to explore something. Yeah. So that's a pretty big, uh, you know, the whole idea of eternal suffering is for many people that is uh, that's the big issue. Like that's either what keeps them from becoming a Christian or what eventually drives them away from the faith because they really can't reconcile this, you know, loving father God that Jesus presents who's supposed to be, you know, God is love. And yet apparently he's going to roast his, some of his children uh, forever and ever and ever. And what is, you know, so reconciling that is, is really, really difficult for people. And and some people never reconcile it. And that's the reason why they walk away. Uh, Yeah. Well, I think what's, that's an issue that's uh, bothered me and act that I was moving. I mean, this is, so the the kind of the tipping point with inerrancy, it's it's just one part of a longer mm-hmm. journey. So I mean, even before that, when I came to this church down in California, I told them before I was doing anything uh, worship or whatever, I was like, "Hey, just so you know, I'm at least an annihilationist and uh, probably leaning more towards a universalist in some mm-hmm. sense." So um, just because I I no longer felt like it was, I don't. The whole idea of eternal conscious torment is so much of an overstep yes. from what is actually in the Bible. Yes, um, and yet it gets it gets locked into like you know churches uh, statements of faith and stuff, and you're just like, what? Like this is this is so so much more than you have to go on, and it's such a huge uh, issue that you're you're freaking people out, you're turning people away because they're like, no way, I, I'm not going to believe in a god that does that and so you're you're putting good words and even if you're going to be an inerrantist you're you're way overstepping what i think is is uh reasonable yeah. in the text so, yeah absolutely yeah. so how difficult has it been uh two things hopefully this is this is fair to ask two questions because you mentioned two things that i'm curious about one was he talked about you and your wife together so i, I, mean, I want to know how that did you guys track together did you process this together did you kind of get ahead of her and she had to catch up to you? Like, how did that affect your relationship on the one side? But also you mentioned finding a church. And I'm, I'm curious uh, how challenging is it to find a church where some of these questions are okay to ask, or some of these issues are okay to not have, you know, uh, firm mm-hmm. answers for. Yeah. Um, first question. Uh, I did a very bad job <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> with, with that. Uh <laughs> So I tend to, uh, uh, I mean, I can process a lot of information and I, by the time that I make a decision, uh, I've thought like a lot about something, but it, I don't communicate a ton with, <laughs> outside of my brain. So, uh, I kept meaning to talk to her about it and, um, I was on the road and I was reading and I was thinking and, and uh, she was having a hard time at home and I was trying not to like waiting for like a good time to talk about it mm-hmm. and then i think i texted her something about <laughs> not sure if i believe in inerrancy anymore and uh, don't ever do that that's yeah. a really bad idea yeah hey honey i'm um, a heretic uh just wanted you to know 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I freaked her out real good. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we worked through uh, that stuff and she's on a, I would say a parallel yeah. uh, path, but she processes things very differently, uh, mm-hmm. more, more from a gut level. Uh, I'm much more kind of heady. Um, she's very, very smart, but she just the way, you know, different personalities kind of are led by different parts of them. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we both are, uh, have been moving towards a much more inclusive uh, view of uh, God and uh, Christianity, universe, whatever. Um, and then finding a church. I'm just looking for a place where everyone feels welcome and there's a good uh, place for my kids to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I, I don't expect to find a place where uh, everyone is, uh, is thinking all the same things as me, but um, yeah, having some room to, to have different thoughts would be great. Cool. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's so, it's so unique to find a church where the beliefs that you, that you adhere to at the moment are the, the pillar of, um, you know, what the church is all about. It's, um, at least that, that my experience is that that's been hard to find, but, but there are probably some, some churches, um, as a, as a worship leader yourself, I mean, I've done worship, not, not in the same capacity that you have done. Is that something that, that comes into play or how does that work in the, uh, in the worship world in relation to if you're going to write songs that have a certain message or how much creativity is there for, for people like yourself who are writing worship to express where you're at lyrically? Um, I'm an odd bird here because I, I hate worship music. And, um, Good for you. No, right? I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. That was, that was like kind of why I was really interested in making some because I was bothered by a lot of things that probably wouldn't bother me as much now or they'd bother me differently. I'm not sure. I haven't thought about it in a while, but, uh, yeah, so I ended up writing what I think was you know, a, a very good and uh, helpful worship record if you are a kind Calvinist, but <laughs> a no kind long... Calvinist, no worship for kind Calvinists. <laughs> uh, uh, so, I mean, so, if this makes any sense of things, like I ended up coming into a more reformed view. Um, because I saw some really beautiful things there. So I, I had grown up in the evangelical church and even though there's a lot of talk about uh, grace and whatnot, uh, it ends up a lot of times really feeling more like a meritocracy where uh, you, you know, God, when you're not doing good or whatever you want to call it, God's mad at you. And then when you are doing good, he's pleased with you. And, so it's just this weird roller coaster of feeling good or bad, depending on what, whatever you had done that day. Um, so what reformed theology did was say, Hey, look, God is actually always, uh, loving you the same. And that was really beautiful. And I, and I could see places scripturally where that was played out that had been kind of 
downplayed in the, the streams that I grew up in. Um, and so I would say, so there was good things there, but I feel like I have moved kind of to a one step higher. Yes. God, it always, always, always loves you and, uh, never wanted to, uh, kill you and destroy you mm-hmm. and had to take that out on his son. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a continuation without some of the baggage, I guess, into that understanding of God actually being, uh, love. Yeah. So that I, I think I diverged from, no, no, no I, I think worship. that's good. I, uh, I mean, so at this point, I don't know. I think about it sometimes, like what would be actually helpful to, to write that I would actually agree with and that could be used in a variety of places. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't thought about it enough. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the songs that I'm writing for thrice are, uh, are very worshipful in a, in a sense as well. So I, I, I don't draw as clear lines, uh, but I, I mean, I, I guess I didn't before, but I, I, there is a, there's a way that I think is helpful to write for congregational singing wherever you are. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So you're sort of, uh, in a place and tell me if this is accurate. Uh, I'm sure that for some people, for some Christians, you're you're not Christian enough, and for some people who are not Christians, you're too Christian when it comes to your music. Um, do you ever get that? And people kind of like complain who are not Christians, like, "Hey, man, you're writing these songs about lyrics about about spiritual things, or you know, it, why don't you just write a song about cars and girls?" Uh, <laughs> or I don't know. Is that is that the case? Do you, do you feel like for some people you're you're too Christian and others you're not Christian enough? Um, no, it's mostly just the not Christian enough. Uh, because I've always tried to write really honestly uh, with Thrice. And so, I mean, you can track different points in my kind of spiritual journey through records and mm-hmm. um, try to just be open about whatever and still trying to write in a way that's uh, at the core, just a human way and anything. I think anything that you are saying, you know, religiously in some sense should be able to be understood on a broader level, just humanly. Um, and and, right. and there's some nuances to that, I think, but, but I think generally that's true. Um, and so there've been a lot of people who are not Christian or atheists who are whatever, who have enjoyed the band for a long time. And I think appreciate the honesty and the engagement with the topics that I've had. So those people uh, are probably just happy that uh, some of the, the, the baggage is, is being dropped and uh, where most of the pushback is, is people who felt like uh, I was their, their champion in yep. a sense and, and yes. uh, that I'm abandoning them, which I don't think is true, but I, I can understand that. Well, Dustin, I, yeah, you know, we, on our podcast here, we've had, you know, a number of guests on and we have spent our a fair amount of time uh, bashing Calvinism, but I will say, um, I will say one of the things and I, what I hear you saying, um, about Calvinism that is actually positive, which, you know, all our listeners probably don't hear this very often, but I, I was a former, I'm, I'm a former Calvinist. And so one of the things I appreciated about Calvinism, uh, when I was a Calvinist was, this idea that the grace of God is not contingent upon performance. Um, 
but it's just based upon the idea of uh, just goodness, just the fact that there is goodness in existence. Obviously, you know, I think from a Calvinist perspective, it would be that God is good. And so basically um, God makes decisions based on this premise. Um, but I like it because it's not performance-based. So it, it really it can, can be healing in the sense if you come from a, obviously a, a paradigm in which uh, love and acceptance is based upon believing the right information or right performance, which I find to be very unhelpful or even damaging that idea. Yeah. So um, in the time we've got left, I'm Dustin, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this new album that uh, Thrice has come out with. Can you talk a little bit about the album and uh, what was it like writing it? Were there certain songs that really uh, kind of set the tone for you on the album and, or, or certain ones that have resonated more with fans. Um, talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so the album's called Palms, uh, like your hand. And it started, I woke up out of a dream in the middle of the night and had this uh, thought of, of a palm, of an open hand, and as, a, as a broad metaphor that stretched in all these different directions. So, you know, a palm representing openness to new ideas or nonviolence or vulnerability. And my brain was just racing. I grabbed my phone, started jotting down, you know, 30 different things that came to mind and laid back down, just laying there thinking. And I saw, so if you see it, it's kind of associated with the, the record art. It's not on the cover, but there's a palm and thrice has had these, this logo for a while it had different iterations, but it's these three bars. One's a straight diagonal and then two are, I don't, you'd have to see it <laughs> next to it, but, but have a bend in them. Um, and I saw in my head, the bars in the palm of the hand, I turned my light on and looked at my hand and was just tripping out. Cause it's, I mean, everyone's hands a bit different, but, um, the basic shape is, is there in most, hands oh yeah uh really trippy uh so my brain had subconsciously connected all this even though i had no idea about it and uh, so i was tripping out on that sat on it for about a month and just kept thinking about it and finally brought it to the rest of the guys it's like hey i've got this idea for the record and um i think i was just so excited about it that i, I was worried no one was going to dig it but uh everybody was on board and mm-hmm. so yeah the record everything on the record all the songs are kind of built out of one aspect uh, that you could view as a, uh, an open hand. So whether it's an inclusion of everyone or um, yeah, the, the, the stuff I mentioned earlier, but uh, branch in the river, that's, it's about a, a letting go of something that you were holding on to tightly. Um, so it was, it was an interesting process to write everything really based off one general metaphor and then stretching it uh, in different directions. So, so, so Dustin, what, um, what was the song only us all about? Yeah. So it's about, uh, I mean, we, so we've developed as very tribal creatures. Um, and that's how we've survived and it's kind of built into us, right? Uh, we, we want to protect, protect our group and the other group is bad. And so that's an understandable instinct in us, but uh, many people are starting to understand now that uh, you know, things are shifting 
we are coming into a a global age. We're seeing a uh, humanity, and from a Christian point of view, like this should be kind of a no-brainer. Saying, <laughs> and 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 it has really been happening in a lot of ways for a lot of years, usually with a lot of terrible things happening along the way. But uh, that idea of this Catholic uh, humanity that, that everyone is, uh, is of one tribe uh, is, is getting what the song is getting at. Um, and so there's some interesting research on uh, the ways people have these kind of views of their in, in groups and out groups. Um, and you have to, like everyone has that tendency, but you can actually, like you can't change that. Everyone's always going to have the thing that they have to be against and the group is is the end thing. But you can actually make the thing you're against something external like poverty or hunger or whatever and you can unite against that thing rather than against another group of humans. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of what the song is, is getting at. Like this, uh, these tribes that we're identifying with are, are uh, very arbitrary, and uh, I, I, I'm advocating for a a larger, all inclusive uh, tribe. Yeah. So have you uh, have you read any Rene Girard? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. You're going in that direction a little bit. <laughs> uh, I haven't. I've seen some interviews that were uh, that were very fascinating. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely dug the stuff I was, I was hearing. So uh, I should check out some more. Well, Dustin, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious. Uh, where can our listeners, uh, where can people connect with you online? I tend to make people mad on Twitter. <laughs> um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'm, I think it's a good format for me because I'm, I'm super introverted. So it's, it's these small little snippets, and, um, yeah. So I, I try to provoke thought on there and um i try to follow through with conversations with people who disagree and come to a good ending and that happens more often than you would think is possible so yeah um try to listen where people are coming from and i uh, you know affirm that you know this isn't separating us that we think differently on something but um I don't know. It doesn't always lead to someone changing their mind, but it, I feel like any interaction of people that disagree yeah, that ends well is, is a win. So, uh, yeah. So you can check out Twitter. Uh, you can follow thrice on Twitter, uh, at thrice, um, check out the new record. We're on tour right now. I'm in, uh, Hotel room in Boise, Idaho. No way. That's where I'm living right now. Oh. Hey, maybe we can get together and, uh, I don't know, have some drinks or something. <laughs> we can have drinks. Um, yeah, uh, we'll figure it out later. I'm at the Grove right now. That's funny. Yeah, it's really cool to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thanks. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, we get some amazing guests on the show. Like I got to say, I'm, I'm pretty... Uh, I'm pretty excited about the, the variety of guests and the different kinds of people Absolutely. Uh, that we've been able to talk to on the podcast. So yeah, that was really cool. So I think um, we touched on some interesting stuff there that I think leads us into our, our topic for this episode, which is the omni characteristics of God, the omni God. Um, we probably should even explain what the hell that even means. What is, what do we mean when we say the omni God? What's that all about? Well, I mean, we use these, these terms, in theology and, and you know 
any theology, but Christian theology is mainly our context, you know, so we talk about omnipresence, God is everywhere, omnipotence, you know, God is all powerful, and we use all these omni terms, and I don't know, the first thing I want to say is that I, sometimes for me, it seems like it's the wrong place to start, like we just, we talk about all these great characteristics as if, you know, we talk about one thing, let's say it's the omnipotence, the, the, the power of God, and we just think of it as like, power as we think of it to the nth degree. So it's God is all these big adjectives. And for me, it's just, I don't know. I mean, and, and you guys can tell me if you think differently on this. It just kind of misses the point. No, I agree. With I, you. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, like, like we're going to go out there in, in the sky and find this biggest, baddest, strongest, most uh, highest IQ type of deity out there. And, and, yeah, well, you. I just don't see it. <laughs> you know, so if you think about it, I mean, this is this is a great. I think I'm glad you're starting with sort of a conversation about the in general before we get into the specifics. Because I, here's the thing: like uh, when you think about it like this, like okay, where do we come up with these ideas uh, about God being? It's basically what we're saying is is that God is the ultimate man. He's the he's a super man, right? So Superman. T- yeah. Take the attributes of us, right? Well, we have thoughts, we have intelligence, we have strength we have abilities where we have presence um so therefore god must have have those to be you know infinite degree uh, and, it's, right. and and i think you're right i think it's kind of an odd place to begin and it and it and it ends up creating a and it's like the whole thing about how you know god created man in his image and then man returned the favor um right, right? it's it's it kind of feels like that in some ways like maybe Maybe we should even rethink this whole omni thing completely. Like, why do we? If the reasons that we we think of God in these ultimate ways, right? He is the he stands for the ultimate wisdom, the ultimate power, right? Um, the ultimate creator. All these things. Like, well, um, if even if even coming up with that is flawed in some ways, like we begin with ourselves and project outward, maybe we should kind of pause and rethink even our concept of God. But you know, maybe, maybe that's taking us in another direction. But I, I do want us to get into the, the omni parts, but I do think it's still like we should keep in mind that what we are really discussing are is a theory of, again, we were talking about the mystery, right? Uh, th- this, is, this is an attempt to er- eradicate all mystery. And to get down to, like, we're going to draw a picture of God right now. And this is what God looks like. For sure. And speaking of mystery, um, have you guys ever thought about where we are? Uh, Like Boise, Idaho? What do you mean? Um, Well, no. I mean, not exactly like that. But like, okay, so for example, I I was recently, um, had learned about some studies that that uh, some this doctor in specific this was a neurosurgeon. Uh, he was doing these experiments in the 1950s when they were really delving into um, they were delving into uh, brain science and that kind of thing. So you know you can do brain surgery um, without any kind of anesthetic. So you can be awake when you do, uh, or that I mean anesthetic just to numb the area. But like you can do brain surgery and there's no pain. So they usually have the patients awake. So they were doing this experiment because he wanted to find out where the person actually was in the brain. So it's a crazy story, but like basically with some of the experiments they documented, they would, you know, he would like uh, be operating on the the motor part of the brain and he would stimulate the motor part of the brain and the person would raise their right arm. You know, he would like, so he would learn how to like stimulate different parts of the body. And, and they, and so he would ask them, are you raising your right arm? And 
the patient would say, well, my right arm is clearly moving, but I'm not doing it. And um, he said, okay. And that was what he expected because he was doing it through stimulating that part of the brain. But here's what's crazy. He would say, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to take control. When I raise your arm, I want you to take control of it and move it a different direction, Uh, move it to the left. And what's so crazy about it was he was looking. So he, he, when he moved the arm, he could see where the neurons would fire and the pathway it would take to the arm to move the arm. But when the other person would move the arm, he could not find, um, I mean, eventually when the arm moved, he could see the trace of that, but he could not find the decision to take control of the arm. He couldn't find it. And they did all these studies trying to find where, at what point does the will interact in the brain? And they came to this conclusion that consciousness, the conscious person, is not actually in the body anywhere, which is really right. fascinating when you think about it because it's like, oh, so it, it does interact with the body, obviously interacts with the brain. It's, it's connected, connected, but it's not, it's not sourced there because it can't be found anywhere in the brain. And so I find, I find that to be really fascinating because it's like, it's like a, you turn on a radio, you turn on TV. There's, there's not actually an orchestra or a band in the radio. There's no people in the TV, but it is coming Wait, through what? there. You know what I mean? Like, so they're not actually in that. They're box. not. I know. And, and, you know, oh. I know I could like, if you took a radio and you went back in time to like caveman area and you'd be like, they turn the box on, <laughs> they'd probably be like, oh my gosh, there's like people in there making these noise. There's people talking in the box, yeah. but it looks yeah. that way. It's an illusion. But basically, the box is designed to be a – obviously, the radio, the TV is a, is a device that we've designed that it can carry a transmission through it. So it looks like it's coming through that box. But really, the, the, where is the music? Where are the people? It's like non-local. It's not actually in the box. So when you ask, like, where's the music at that you're hearing on the radio? Well, it's everywhere. It's omni. It's like – omnipresent where is the signal coming from where's the tv signals coming from it's coming through the tv well it's everywhere so like i really feel like so where are we when you ask the question where are human beings are we in our body well we are i think our body is giving us expression in space and time which is linear and local and but that's not where we are so can i think it can be said that human beings in our true sourced location are omni we're on. And I think, I think science will show us that but we're spirit. So what are the dimensions of spirit? So if we're spiritual beings, what are the dimensions of spirit? Where you, there are no dimensions of spirit. It's everything. Right. Yeah. And then that does get back to, into the, the mystery of things where even science struggles to define these things. Right. Um, and to, to wrap, wrap itself around and, and map these things out. We can, but we can, yeah, we can still, see evidence for things where i mean this is why i'm so fascinated about things like quantum sure. theory and that stuff quantum entanglement because uh science now is showing uh, evidence for things for which really there is no <laughs> like uh explanation like we're discovering that some things seem to be happening and we can see that they're happening but we don't have any idea why and i do think then it does for me, it feels like it reaching the the limits of scientific uh, measurement and understanding. To but we are actually then seeing sort of the fringes, sort of like through a glass darkly. What we're seeing is the evidence of the spiritual reality that really is something. You know, again, we're not going to be able to scientifically quantify it, but it's there. It, it, it is real, um, and that much I do agree with. I do think that is 
Uh, so, so in the sense then of God's omni, so like God omniscience, right? So I guess we should just say that there's, there's three main omni uh, characteristics of God, right? So God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. Uh, he knows all knowledge, all, all facts. Um, past uh, Christians, traditional Christians would say uh, facts, past, present, future, everything. Um, God is omnipresent means he's everywhere at the same time. Um, so there's nowhere that God is not. And, uh, um, that's omnipresent, Om- omnipotent God having, as Matt alluded, you know, all power, but, um, we might should, what do we mean by that? You know, what does power mean? And there's a fourth one. So kind of, kind of obscure, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, omnificence, which is the all creative power of God. If we have time to get into that, I think that's, uh, it has some interesting, uh, things to consider on that side, but, but so omniscience, when we say God is all knowing, um, is God all knowing? I guess we should say that. And, and, and if God knows everything, what does he know? And if he knows it, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean that all the, all of these things, it, it comes down to like how we define it because I mean, I think it was uh Thomas J Ord that says that God can't know the future right. or something to that effect. And, and so like, I, I kind of, get that in one way because we think of things linear linearly like we you know we move from i mean we're always in the present but uh, you know we we have past the past concept and we have the concept of the future and since the future hasn't exist can god know that and it's like well i don't know i i think it seems like well going back to quantum stuff it, it seems that it's not necessarily the past that dictates the future it's sort of the future that kind of brings the, it like dictates the past in some weird yeah. mind fuck sort of way like um you know it's like it's like yeah. uh, photons yes. go back in time um as if we never you know yeah. whether we observe them or not and then they they, they uh, are a certain either a uh, you know a point or a wave or something like that obviously i'm not a scientist so um but so so those sort of things like really put a twist on i think how we think of things like in a traditional sense yeah if the future doesn't exist can god know it but it's like well maybe the future does exist in in some other universe or multiverse or or you know i i, I wouldn't want to limit um god's so-called knowing simply because we don't understand past future and right. present and, and and we think of things linearly but if they're not linearly then i think we're kind of well, yeah, in over our heads a little yeah, bit. Yeah, real quick, you have to say, you know, first of all, when you ask this question, you first have to define. It really says to me much more about the nature of time. I think we have to understand the nature of time yeah. before we can even say, "Can God like is Thomas right that God can't know the future because it hasn't happened yet?" Well, that depends on how your view of time is. Time something that sure. we are currently? Uh, it's this linear thing, or is it something that, you, that God, as a as a being, could step outside of? They got to create time as a concept uh, in His creative creative uh, omnificence, um, and he, he exists outside of time. In which case, then potentially theoretically, he could observe uh, time, past, present, and future. So that's and that, of course, is one view. Um, but like going back to the quantum entanglement thing, that you're exactly right. Like some of these experiments with photons will bend your freaking mind because, like. These photons right. know in advance and they will, whether you are going in the future to observe them or not, and based on it, whether whether you observe it or not, it behaves now the way it knows you're going to do it, even if you don't know it. They've randomized whether you right. whether it, you look or you observe or don't observe, because when you observe them, they behave one way and you don't observe them, they behave another way. And 
That's the yeah. craziest thing about that that quantum entanglement thing is like, okay, like you just said, like, well, no, well then maybe at least in some cases it is possible. Is it knowing the future or is it the future informing the past? I don't know, but it's something right. crazy. Breaks, breaks yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> again, this is why this is why we talk about God in these terms. Like mystery is probably a good thing to embrace. Like we can talk about it. It's fun to, to theorize it, but at the end, we don't really know. Well, the, he, uh, maybe Omni Mysterious should be one. <laughs> I'm going to add that. I'm going to add that one. Yeah. Here, here's a, something I wanted to propose. Um, and, and again, uh, coming back to this idea of om, um, omniscience, you know, is God all knowing? And um, and I firmly, so the I used to think of this, this concept of God being all knowing. And I was taught this, obviously, in, in the traditional Christian, when I was, you know, going through seminary and all this, just, just that whole teaching, which they, you know, God is all knowing. And I have this picture of this being in the sky somewhere, some dimension up there somewhere, who has all just complete understanding, knows all the facts, like a major supercomputer or something. And I think that's how, you know, it's kind of a primitive way to think of the divine, but that's kind of how we're taught to see God, you know, especially in, in Christian circles. So God is the supercomputer, knows all information, all everything. And we, we don't. So, but this, there was this man as uh, actually a friend of friend of a good friend of mine, uh, a, a friend of a friend, a good friend of mine who w- had a drug addiction and was, a, I think it was a heroin addiction and he had overdosed and died. Clint was clinically dead and he hadn't, and he was not in any way spiritual at all. Um, really didn't even go there. And, um, after his near death experience, he actually had a entire encounter when he died and he witnessed it. He was, you know, saw, he just goes into a lot of detail about what he witnessed and what he came back with. He said, everything was explained to me about what we're doing here. And he had this profound experience his life changed post the near-death experiences it was fun he was radically different after this experience and he said here's why we exist when i heard it it really resonated with me he said here's why we exist and he said we god is all-knowing only because we exist and i was like wait what you know when, when my friend was telling me that she was telling me what he said and she said that basically true knowledge is experiential knowledge so you know, you can't, I can't tell you what chocolate's like. I mean, you know what I mean? I, you could read the chemical, you know, there can be a, a new, a, a dictionary definition of what chocolate is, but nobody will actually know what chocolate is like until you actually put it in your mouth and taste it. Then you will know. And it's not something that you can really understand with the mind as much as you can understand it through experience. And so God we say God is all knowing. Well, how would God know what chocolate tastes like? God wouldn't know what chocolate tastes like. How would God know what it's like to move out of the illusion of separation and join another human being in oneness, which is through the act of sex? Like that, that's what happens in sex. So you come out of the illusion of separation and experience a sense of connection and oneness. How would God know what that's like? Well, because we, how, would, how would God know what it's like to love another human being? Well, God wouldn't know what that's like unless God actually incarnates. So it's only through incarnation that God experiences and gets life experience and ex- and actually says, "Oh, this is what it's like. This is what there's a there's a desire, I believe at the level of source and consciousness that says, "I want to know the fullness and essence of my own self." And so incarnation happens, which thereby gives God 
true. So God is all knowing. Yes. But how through experience? Cause this is why I think even in, in the Psalms where it says Psalm you know, 46, 10, be still and know. So there's a knowing that goes beyond the mind. Be still and know that I am God. Well, how would you know that? Because you're experiencing the essence of yourself at that place of stillness. And this is again, an example of the, the quest, the desire for God to experience God's self. And I do believe that's why we exist. We actually give God experience of God's self because everything is a manifestation of this essence. So it's just interesting. This guy comes back from this ND and he's like, yeah. So when God, God loves us and how does that get carried out through our own life? We love others because God loves us and expresses that love experientially in 3D space and time. And I do think, so I think that's just a different twist and that's, that really resonates with me. It's a different twist on saying God is omniscient, all knowing. It's like, well, yeah, but we're a part of that equation. Like, yeah, you know? Yeah, no, I've, I've often thought about that. Like, just imagine like the father and son sitting around and, and theorizing what it would be like to give grace to one another, uh, undeserved grace. And it's like, well, not, neither would know <laughs> until they experienced it. I mean, how could you know what it would be like to forget? How, how could God, um, and, and the, how could the father and the son forgive only in theory without actually experiencing what it's like to forgive another. Right. Does that make no, sense? No, like, like we, we only, like, we can't, we can't read a manual on how to ride a bike and say, I know how to ride a bike unless we get on a bike right? right? and actually ride. I mean, it's the same kind of, analogy I mean, can, can, could you imagine God saying, yeah, I want you guys to forgive. By the way, I don't know what that's about because I never had to forgive, never actually forgave anybody, yeah. uh, you know, only in theory, only yeah. theory like the ideas there, but. As an attribute, yeah, as an, I mean, forgiveness would exist in theory, uh, but not in practice as an attribute of love, because as mm. I love in, you know, infinitely and completely, then if there ever were something that needed to be covered in grace and mercy and forgiveness, yes, that would automatically happen. But um, having experienced it before he created people who could screw up <laughs> uh, and needed to be needed right. to be given some grace and mercy and forgiveness. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have experienced it, right? That's really, it's really fascinating. Well, going back to what you were saying too, Jamal, um, I think this also touches on like, uh, Richard Rohr covers this really well in his the newest book, and he came out with Universal Christ, um, that the incarnation isn't just Jesus and that the incarnation is the universe. The, the first incarnation is let there be light. Um, let there be, you know, everything, the universe, right? Um, that God, uh, God, so God's presence is in everything, not just humans. Mm -hmm. uh, God's presence is in everything he has ever created. Mm -hmm. uh, this Again, this pantheism. And so uh, in that sense, yes, God is omnipresent um, because everything is an expression um, of the image of God. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and God is, and not just the image either, right? it isn't just like um, a tattoo or a, a drawing, right? It's, it is right. a, is a living presence. Kind of a uh, manifestation. Manifestation, exactly. Well, and again, that's what we mean when we say incarnation. Right, uh, totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we solved omniscient and omnipresent. Why don't we solve omnipotent? And, and Why don't you go there? Because I like where you were going with that the question. <laughs> the, well, I like where you were going, Matthew, with that question of um, when we say power, what do we mean? Like, uh, what do we mean by power? Well, I mean, if we, if we believe that Jesus is, uh, you know, what God is like, we certainly cannot think of power in the way humans typically do power. Right. 
right? Like, um, you know, it's like when we talk about Jesus's lordship, you know, it's, it's in contrast to Caesar's lordship. And we, we come from a power over um, sort of mentality. And uh, I like, uh, I actually like something Luther talked about what? is that, when we talk about, I know, right? There, there, there it is. Um, <laughs> hey, I even like some things Calvin and Augustine. I don't know if we can be friends anymore, man. Damn. I don't know. Damn it. Damn it, Ralph. Um, but, you know, we start our theology at the, at the foot of the cross. So when we think of power, we need to flip the whole thing on its head and start from below. Like um, maybe God's power is best seen or manifested in the power of servanthood or serving others or this idea of ken- kenosis and, and, and um, you know, self-emptying love. Maybe that's a much more powerful thing than this idea of power over or coercion or force or something like that. And that's where I think, you know, we go back to this, God is the biggest, baddest, dude in the sky and so of course he's powerful he's got huge muscles and he can he can squash you if he wants he can move these mountains because he's big and strong but maybe god moves mountains through powerlessness rather than like power over something absolutely no i dude i freaking love that and that is so i think that is exactly right and so this is part of the beautiful thing and i think paul got this this is what paul you know paul had this epiphany where he says you know he realized uh, that his he will boast all the more in his weakness because he says, when I do this, the power, he goes, it is the power of Christ at work in me is this power of weakness. Um, so it's, it is, it's this subversive upside down, let's rethink this thing, right? Again, like power isn't having power to slaughter people. It is, it's not having power to bend people to your will. Again, that's sort of the primal, um, primitive way of thinking of quote unquote power. Um, but Jesus definitely reflects to us a, a, a an idea, a picture of power as the ability to empty yourself, as the ability to lay mm. yourself aside for the sake of someone else, even to the point of death. Like that's power because we, when we think of doing that, right? Don't, don't, don't we in our minds think I could never do that? That's, a, that's impossible. Exactly. And so it would take an incredible power for you to do something that right now to you seems impossible, which would be to empty yourself. And give yourself completely to someone else in love. Wow, right? Now that's power, right? And then by redefining power, um, now, now, man, now if you say that God is omnipotent and that's what you mean, holy moly, like that's awesome. I love that. I, I tell you what, guys, I am, the longer I live, the more I'm becoming convinced in the all powerful nature of human beings. And the reason I say that. Thank you. Thank you. The reason I say that is because I, I want to. I'd like to unpack just for a bit something that Paul said, and by Paul I mean the guy who is credited from writing most of the New Testament. So Paul said, made the statement. He said, "I can do all things through Christ, you know, who gives me strength." And I know people, you know, that's out of context, all this. But there's a, the essence, the principle behind there is like, oh wait a minute, I can do all things, you know, as he's moving. He's saying this for a reason because he's. He's faced with a lot of challenges, you know, and he, and obviously, you know, is coming out of a lot of things and and he's like, no, but I can, I can do all the things. And so when we think about Christ, the idea of Christ's essence, and I'm coming at it from this angle, Christ meaning, um, essence, source, essence, God, energy, divine divinity. So through this indwelling Christ, 
part or expression of our being. We can do all things. I have, and then there's like, I've always been fascinated with the Old Testament story, <clears throat> you know, of, uh, of Babel, you know, when, uh, was it Nimrod or whatever <laughs> was, uh, when the whole world was coming together and they were building this tower of Babel and like God was, you know, the story that God speaks and says, you know, look, they have one mind and one language and all this. And, if, and, and nothing shall be impossible to them if they continue along this path. Um, and obviously they were, so there's this idea that when humans are unified in consciousness and thought about something that they really are, are pretty much unstoppable. And I think the evidence, you can make a good case for that um, throughout history, just in things that humans collectively have put their consciousness towards, they end up doing. I mean, even it was laughable in 1960, 61, whenever uh, John F. Kennedy said, you know, in a decade, we're going to put a man on the moon. I mean, this was laughable. Um, it had never been done in at, for, in at any point in human history that we knew about. It had never been done. And he says okay, yeah, we're going to put a man on the moon in the, at the end, by the end of the decade, and it's exactly what they do. Uh, it's just interesting. Even the coaching work that I do with people, I mean, lifelong struggles that there is just no, there's the history has just been, we don't get through this. None of my generations before me, my whole family struggled with this. I've struggled with this my whole life. And when you start to tap into source energy, Christ consciousness, where desire is found, and then intentions are formed from that place of desire, People do things that they once thought were impossible. Absolutely. And I, I'm just convinced, like, can we really do all things? When it, if, it com- if it's coming from divine source, consciousness, Christ consciousness, energy, essence, whoever you want to, I don't care what the language you want to use. Maybe we really are, you know, expressions of the omni- om- omnipotence of the divine, you know? And I think of, I mean, I, I when I think of, I mean, the word impotence is interesting, you know, like just not able, not able to, to perform impotence, you know, but what, what if like the opposite of that is like, actually, no, you potence to be omnipotent is to actually for you to be who you are, to perform to the level that you are actually designed to, to perform, which is whatever you're here to do, your desire, you're actually, and I think we manifest that in a very maybe limited way in space and time through our own lives. But what if we really are these unstoppable uh, beings that express this? Well, yeah. And I, and I think you are onto something, which is why I think it's important to redefine these ideas of God. Because if we think of omnipotence as this biggest, baddest dude in the sky, we will mm-hmm. be like him. Sure. And we will lord over one and over one another, and we will coerce one another. We will enslave and oppress one another. But if we do think of omnipotence as the 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 powerfulness to serve one another, we will act out of that um, energy or um, uh, imitation or what have you. Love. So it's really, sure. I think it's really love. Yeah, I mean all these all these things. I mean it's really important that we do. Um, it's really important what our theology is. Often I, I say, well, our theology is kind of secondary to, you know, our experiences and our, you know, being human and all this. But it is, it, it still really is important because we will be like the gods we believe in. Yeah, totally. I, I found personally when I'm motivated by love, the things I all, often thought I could never do, I end up doing. When it's love, when I really sense like love is on the line, like in the, not in the same, like when it's, when, especially when it comes to serving, like if I'm, it's like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but somehow it's going to happen because I'm compelled. And if, I, if it feels like love, it just takes me above any limitation I thought I, I w- I've had. 
you know, and it's crazy. Yeah. There is a very, uh, there is a very interesting thing. I mean, I think we're all kind of suggesting this. Jamal, you're probably more than suggesting this, but um, it's the idea that um, we kind of do create um, by creating a desire, by creating intention. Um, we do sort of create things happening. And so like, for example, uh, and I think this would, I think actually this would overflow into the fourth uh, Omni, which is again, the lesser known one, I think that's uh, omnificence or the, the all creative power of God. Uh, and it means that God not only creates things, but God can only create things that are in alignment with God's character. Um, and we'll get into the implications of that in a second, but, but I want to stay on this track of where you guys are right now. Um, and just give it a little bit of a personal testimony of this kind of a thing happening in my life where it seems to happen a lot. Um, and the way it, it happens to me is things like, typically I'll just be, um, talking to God. I mean, I don't consider it like I'm not on my knees, um, with candles and all that. I'm just sort of like lounging on my couch or something, talking to God or driving in my car, talking to God. And, um, and I'll just say something like, you know, God, it'd be really cool if this happened or God, it'd be really cool if I could do this or if this thing would open up or this opportunity would happen. And dude, within a couple of days, that thing will freaking happen. It's and, crazy. And, um, and so whether it's like, well, that was God answering your prayer. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe it just feels like I'm, I mean, I think there's lots of different ways you could try to explain this. And then again, this goes to the mystery. Like, I think there's uh, it's a it's valid to, to explore like different things that could be happening. Is it that somehow possibly I don't know? Maybe I kind of know it's coming. Like, I, do I know the future? Like, am I sensing the future that this is this is something that is coming coming towards me? This is an opportunity that is that is bound to happen, and I'm just expressing like I think I recognize that coming towards me, and I and I'm thinking I welcome that. I think that's cool, and then it shows up or. I am I desiring something and thinking that would be cool, and then that thing gets created out there and then happens. Like I don't know, and I, I don't know that I again that I feel like I need to draw a picture of that and make it. It's exactly this. I don't know what it exactly is, but I have experienced that kind of thing over and over again. Well, you know, Keith, it's really interesting that you say that about like, do you know the future? That kind of thing. There's this institute, the Math, the Heart Math Institute, um, and they, you know, they've been featured in a lot of studies. Um, they're, they're scientists, and they they tend to, you know, want to. So they get they get into a lot of like heart science kind of things, and what they've they've done these studies where they will show pictures, um, and they will rate like heart rate, monitor your heart rate, and they ha- they would have pictures. They have these you know, people sitting in front of a computer and they would show these random pictures and some pictures would be very peaceful and loving. And some pictures would be tragic, you know, and violence and all this kind of thing. And what they, what the experiment showed them is that the heart at the heart level, not the mind level, but the heart level right before um, a negative picture was going to come up on the screen, the heart would, would, would uh, react Uh, there would be a distinct uh, with the heartbeat. It could be detected that there was a negative picture coming before it even came on the screen. And so it was picking up on a signal somewhere and it was be able, it was able to like tap into that or whatever. So the heart actually can, according to these experiments, know the future, at least in, in these experiments, a few seconds before they were actually going to happen. Um, but I personally believe desire, um, you know, some of the root word of desire is of, you know, where we get the root word for God deity, but it's, it's of God, like the things that are deep desires, 
Um, and even there's a passage in James that says, you know, let him who asks, you know, not doubt. Right. Because he who doubts like a like a wave to- tossed back and forth. But I think there's a principle in that, that when you tap into desire, it's not like wishful thinking. It's like it's 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 a compelling, you can't let it go. It's deep desire. And a lot of times when we whether you call it prayer or intentions, whatever it is that come from that place, um, those we do see those manifest when we really move into that. Because I believe that desire is given to us as a gift, as an expression of divine nature. Well, yeah, um, because we do we do those things I, that come from. Divine. Yeah, I I want to I want to just um, I'm agreeing with you um, in essence, but I, I want to clarify something. At least this is just my perspective. That I think, um, I think that is true again in my experience, but I think it's, I'm feeling like it's true if that desire is in alignment with the canonic nature, the, the loving, the, the idea of the, all the things we just talked about, the, the things that truly are the attributes of God. Um, totally. and so, totally. so, so in other words, it's not like, oh, uh, so if I just desire, uh, I want a 50 foot yacht and I want a hundred million dollars in my bank by Thursday. Like those things probably are not going to happen yeah, because I think those are things I am creating from a different place. Those are desires that I'm creating that are coming from a place that isn't emanating from the source, the true source of all things, which is this uh, love and self-giving and all that. So like if, if the things that I'm, that I'm sitting around desiring are things that truly are beautiful, that would be a beautiful blessing, that would be mm-hmm. an, uh, uh, an, a further expression of who I am created to be as a person, right? Uh, it's fulfilling my gifts, my talents, my abilities, and all these things. Like, and, and I'm and I'm surrendering to that, and I'm sort of dreaming of how those things can continue to uh, to thrive. That for me, anyway, it feels like those are the kinds of things that when I have those desires, when I have those, if it's coming from a very pure place, those are the things that almost like I can I can almost tell you in the moment that I'm having the thought that thing's probably going to happen. Like I, I just have the sense of like, you know what? I, I fully believe it. It's going to happen. I just, and again, not, and not on any kind of like name it and claim it or, oh, I just have to have a, I have to drum up enough faith. No, it's not that at all. It's just sort of like mm-hmm. it, it, I receive both signals at the same time. The signal that, yeah. that it would be great if this happened and the signal that it's already happened and it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's odd. Again, I can't explain it and wrap the language around it. It sounds really odd. But but I do think it has to be something in alignment with coming from this place of the the true source, who is who is Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff, gentlemen. So uh, I guess before we crash this plane, um, we got <laughs> we a couple announced. You want to land it? Yeah. How about a rough landing? Yeah, looks like man. We uh, we do have a website, heretichappyhour.com. Book market. That's where you get all the uh, all the episodes. Make sure you stayed up to date on that. We have a store and all that good stuff there. Uh, we have some, you know, some free goodies and whatnot on there. So that that that, that can be our landing page. And we also uh, do have a Facebook group that is undergoing a few changes and with it's growth, new and improved. It's new and improved. With growth comes growing pains. So we're working through <laughs> that. But uh, please join the group. And just beware that you got to be kind and you probably should listen to the show if you join the group. So uh, those are my two quick announcements. Yeah. And if you can't get enough and who can really of these conversations, you should jump over to the Patreon page. Yes, we have a Patreon page. And over there, not only can you support us and uh, what we're doing, but uh, as a thank you gift, you know what? 
we record extra stuff, bonus stuff. We interview, you know, extra little bonus clips of the interviews we do that are so fascinating. So you get to hear more of the interviews. You get to hear more of these conversations because, you know, people, when, when the podcast ends, we don't shut up. We keep talking. We keep, uh, you know, thinking about these things and batting things around. And you get to hear those extra conversations over on the Patreon page. So jump over there uh, and support us. That's uh, patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, as you might have guessed. And I also want to say, um, our sponsor, one of our sponsors uh, for the last several episodes is the Hope Center. It's a community resource center serving one of Alabama's poorest communities by providing a neighborhood market where neighbors can shop for food at no cost in an atmosphere of love and respect. And you can visit their website at servealabama.org. Um, but I want to say something special that um, this ministry is run by one of my really good friends, uh, a wonderful, amazing human being. His name is Jason Elam. Um, and for this labor of love that they are involved in uh, to be sustainable beyond this particular month, they're in a kind of a crisis situation. They need to pay off their building uh, and, and significantly raise their monthly support by the end of this month, or they can't continue to do this. So if you can, uh, if you would, I would, I think it'd be so amazing if you're looking for like, where can I give, where can I, you know, invest in, in something that's, that's beautiful, that's doing wonderful things, especially this month, I would encourage you to go serve, to servealabama.org and please support what they're doing, um, that they can continue to do this amazing work, uh, there in Alabama. For sure. And, and you guys know what? I have a cool, like, kind of announcement to end the show with. Um, we are actually, we actually made it as an iTunes podcast. We're on iTunes. Like, we're actually, we're actually an official podcast. So that means you can go to iTunes and you can rate and review the Heritage Cafe, our podcast. We would actually really, really appreciate it if you're a listener and you haven't done that yet to go and rate us and write a review. Um, it helps uh, the podcast grow and get exposure. So thank you in advance. All right, guys. We'll see you next time.